the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And he's here to say, how did it get to be Thursday already? Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you with us for yet another edition of Lifeline, where we are here in this stead each and every afternoon from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Aim to do more of the same. So uh, without any further ado, as they say, let's just get down to cases, shall we? Uh, First off today, let's uh, concentrate a bit on the markets. I know a lot of people are feeling a bit nervous these days, and perhaps justifiably so. Uh, We've seen the markets just beaten up over the last many, many months related to not just inflationary fears, but also the increase, of course, in interest rates that while the Fed is attempting to try and cool inflation is perhaps having a chilling effect on the health of the economy. Now, there is some big news, and and I will with with great candor tell you that uh, it's a bit of a, a mixed bag. First, Good news today, jobless claims are down for the fifth straight week in a row. In addition to that, the August producer price index, essentially the wholesale price, uh, they're related to inflation. Uh, They are now seeing the second straight month of less rates of inflation than had been anticipated. But a lot of this seems to right now, particularly in relationship to last week's 1,200 day, a 1,200 point drop, uh, a lot of it seems to be turning on fears of investors that when the Fed meets next Wednesday and Thursday, that they're going to once again increase interest rates. Let's get more on this. And we've got some other things to uh, to talk about, too, related to Amazon being in the news and not in a good way. I'll tell you more about that. Meanwhile, we welcome economist, public speaker, and of course, the uh, publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily, Jerry Boyer. Jerry, it's always good to have you with us. Craig, it's always great to be with you. Let's uh, let's unpack a little bit of the the most recent news. Uh, boy, we we kind of had bated breath last week when we saw the points, uh, the, the Dow rather drop twelve hundred points in one day, and we've seen from the highs of pushing what was nearly thirty seven thousand, now uh, hovering barely uh, just above uh, thirty one thousand, making some folks nervous, particularly for those of us old enough to remember that the last time we saw over a period of time a six thousand something point cumulative drop was clear back in 2008-2009, I think March of 2009, and it led to a pretty significant wallop on the economy. Now, certainly the numbers are higher these days, so there's less panic, but there are ongoing fears not only related to inflation, but what's the Fed going to do next week? What do you think? Yeah, a 6,000 point drop when it's 36,000 you know, is a sixth. 
<laughs> when it's 18,000, it's a third. So 6,000 point drop is a little more tolerable now than it was uh, back then, but it's still a problem uh, and a pretty clear recessionary signal. Um, and I mean, it's been a tough, it's been a tough year. Um, it's been a tough month. Um, and it's really almost entirely driven by Fed policy. Um, and that's a problem. And I'm not saying it's a problem that Fed policy might be pushing us into a recession. I'm saying it's a problem that the Fed is this powerful. So the Fed is now overwhelmingly the largest player in markets, in financial markets. In any given day, um, the, the big buyer, the biggest buyer or the biggest seller is our own government, our own central bank. It's managing money, uh, which gives it an incredible amount of power. That's problem number one. Problem number two is it's been given a contradictory dual mandate. Mandate one is, well, you need to fight inflation, which means you need to hike interest rates. Mandate two is, oh, we can't slow the economy down. We can't have a recession. We can't have high unemployment. So you need to lower interest rates. So every day, Market participants, investors, people like you and me, um, whether we're pros or amateurs, uh, whatever, DIY, uh, we have to sit through the news and uh, every statistic that comes out, we have to ask, not necessarily is this good for the economy or bad for the economy or is this good for business or bad for business, but instead, the one question that matters is, how will the Fed interpret this? In other words, we use, we're looking at these chicken entrails to try to guess, not to try to understand the fundamentals of the economy, but to try to guess what big brother of money the Fed is going to do. And what happened is this week, we had an inflation report, which was worse than expected, which means the Fed was going to switch to the fight inflation mandate, which means they were going to be you know, hiking interest rates, they were going to be selling, and that drove down markets. Um, and, of course, when they do that, uh, when they're selling, when they're not putting money into the, into the credit system, not only does that tend to hurt markets, not only does that push down the prices of investment assets, but it also is a signal that there isn't going to be enough credit. And that's why there's a relationship between falling markets and a bad economy. When the Fed tightens too much, not only does it drive down the stock market and the bond market along with it, but it also runs the risk of shrinking credit so that business has to cut back the very definition of a recession. You know, and, and I have to wonder, in a sense, if the Fed has kind of painted itself into its own corner here. I mean, you look back historically, and, and while we can certainly lay a lot of the current frustration over interest rates and the way the Fed is managing things squarely at the feet of, of Jerome Powell, uh, but uh, his predecessors, both Janet Yellen as well as Bernanke, and, and, and Bernanke, if I think, was kind of given credit for guiding us through the difficulties of 2008-2009, even though it was a painful experience across the board, many people's retirement portfolios uh, took a big time hit. Real estate, especially in in now overheated markets like uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, took a real significant hit. And it just seems as if you know there's been this artificially low period of inflation. That uh, I mean, not inflation of interest rates. That that maybe almost foolishly they had suppressed for so long instead of allowing the market to do what it does naturally and allowing some degree of, of natural ebb and flow uh, to take place. So now you've got, you know, all of this frothiness going on. And so, you know, is it any wonder?
wonder that it's got uh, investors spooked, and therefore the reason why we saw the 1,200-point drop last week. And I would suspect, as there's talk I'm hearing now, that when they meet to the Federal Open Market Committee meets next Wednesday and Thursday, they may potentially increase the overnight rate as high as another 75 basis points. Now, we've gone from what we're concerned about the Fed might do to what the Fed has actually done. What kind of a, what blanket impact is that going to have on the long-term health of the economy, do you think? Well, the the markets are answering that question right now. They're forward-looking, and the markets are voting that it's going to have a negative impact on the economy. And, you know, I'm glad you, you pointed out the, you know, the interest rate suppression, the artificial stimulus, uh, you know, pushing down interest rates, uh, basically just, you know, um, buying, 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 driving up the price of assets uh, and creating new money to do it. Because in general, when people are evaluating these Fed chairmen, the Bernanke or whatever, right, um, they kind of look at how they handle the crisis, right? We have a crisis, and how much should they raise interest? How, if it's, things are really bad, how much should they lower to get us through the Great Recession, et cetera? And in my view, that is not the right time to be evaluating them. The real time frame to evaluate them isn't how they deal with the popping of the bubble, but the role that they played in creating the bubble in the first mm. place. If somebody makes a lot of terrible decisions, let's say somebody falls into addiction, for example, they have to make tough decisions, right? They might lose their house, they might lose their car, might lose a marriage, they, you know, they have to go into recovery, they have to make all sorts of difficult you know, decisions, and they're really painful ones, and there's no easy way out. The main, but the main thing is not to get addicted in the first place. The main thing is, and easy money is addictive, the main thing is to not engage in financial manipulation to avoid, say, a minor recession or something like that. The main thing is not to pump money into the economy so that we can get a 70% home ownership rate so some politician can brag about it, which gave us a housing bubble, which burst in the Great Recession. Um, the main thing is not to shut down the eco entire economy over COVID and then quadruple the money supply to make us feel better about that. The main thing is not to create the bubble in the first place so we don't have to deal with the you know sort of Hobson's choice of I don't know how do we get through it how much do we how much do we fight inflation and how much do we worry about not causing a recession because at at this point there are no good options every option has pain associated with it so the fed if the fed fights um enough um to beat inflation it has to cause a recession. If the Fed says a recession is intolerable, then it won't beat inflation. We, we, we no longer have a painless option ahead of us. And I do hope to God that next time, after we're through this crisis, we have the common sense to get the Fed back to its basic function, which is just to maintain the value of the dollar and not, not to monetarily micromanage business cycles. Yeah, you know, the irony, too, we think back to all of the debacle of 2008, 2000. 2009 with the real estate derivatives, uh, and then, of course, on the heels of that, creating interest rates and money so cheap that it was ridiculous. I mean, when, when, when inflation is equal to the, to the interest rate, uh, you know, that, that, that's probably great while everybody is making money. But then, of course, we saw the government continue to borrow and spend, borrow and spend, borrow and spend, and you can afford paying off those loans at 2%. Now, when it reaches 4 5 6%, 
it becomes an entirely new ball game. And I, I guess as we look at the current trajectory, I mean, we're, we're halfway through the month. That means we're just two weeks shy of concluding the third quarter. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jerry, but isn't kind of the, the, the running definition of a recession is marked by two consecutive quarters of high inflation and market downturn? Uh, you don't need the high inflation. Uh, that just makes it worse. No. Uh, even if you just, even if you don't have the inflation, two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth is the dictionary definition of a recession. Um, it is the definition of a recession in futures contracts, and it is the legal definition of a recession. The Biden administration tried to say when we when they had their second quarter of negative growth. Oh well, that's not really officially what a recession is. A recession is whatever the National Bureau of Economic Research says. As it is. No, that's not true. The dictionary and the law say otherwise. So we had a recession. The first six months of this year were a recession. Are we still in one or not? Well, we won't find out for sure. It might be that the third quarter were slightly positive. But, you know, this, the market is acting like we're probably going to have another dip. So we can have like two months, uh, we can have two quarters of negative, one quarter of positive, and then another two quarters of negative. Um, and you know, that's actually a pretty reasonable outlook. And honestly, I would rather have a short, sharp recession, pop the bubble, find the new level, and get on with life, rather than this just ongoing drip, drip, drip of high inflation and stagnation, um, something the Keynesians said was impossible until the 1970s, and they had to invent a new word for it, stagflation. Stagflation is exactly what we have now. And why do we have stagflation now like we did in the 70s? Because we have the same policy mix now that we had in the 70s. It's not bad luck. It's not weather systems. Certain policies lead to certain economic outcomes. A Car- Carter economics led to the Carter stagflation, and Biden economics lead to the Biden stagflation. Indeed so. And, of course, you, you couple that with, uh, you know, this, this great degree of which things turn on, on either fear or greed and and currently the meter is in the the fear category pretty solidly. Then you've got the artificial manipulation going on by the Fed and that sense of uneasiness out there. And, you know, Jerry, when I was a kid and if I would, you know, out playing in the the park or whatever, would would fall and skin my knee and uh, grandma would put the Band-Aid on when it was time for the Band-Aid to come off, it was always a desire to take it off nice and slowly. And my grandmother used to say, you know what, my advice to you is let's take it off in one full swoop, one fell swoop rather, so that you don't prolong the pain anymore. It might sting for a moment, but then it gets over with and you're on to recovery. And I'm afraid that a lot of folks here would would rather take the approach of pulling the Band-Aid off slowly, which of course only exacerbates and exaggerates the length of pain. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. Jerry Bauer with us today. He is the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily. Information available, by the way, on the web at affluentinvestor.com. We're unpacking issues related to current market trends, where things are for just the overall health and and well-being of the financial life of the average American. And uh, also uh, coming up in today's program, um, we're going to spend a little time talking about Amazon. They're back in the news. In fact, a couple of stories in the news, neither of which are very flattering. We'll get to details on that as our conversation continues, as Lifeline continues right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Jerry Bauer, economist, best-selling author, 
and the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily is with us today. We're talking about what's going on in the world of money, the markets, and uh, boy, it almost takes a uh, scorecard to keep track of what's happening these days. And, you know, as we were referring to prior to the break, Jerry, in many respects, the, the, the this is kind of a artificially created mess that we're facing, not to suggest that the impact of COVID, supply chain issues, et cetera, et cetera, uh, was not something that not just we, but the nations across the planet have been dealing with. My goodness, I read uh, last week that uh, uh, the country of uh, the United Kingdom is dealing with like 11 percent inflation rate during the month of August. So, you know, there, there's a lot of pain out there to be sure, but a lot of it unique to the United States is really almost, um, I don't know if it's fair to say it is a uh, artificially created uh, crisis, but it, but it kind of leans on that in relationship to what's happened with, with Fed monetary policy, doesn't it? Yeah, the, these are self-inflicted wounds. Um, it's not fate, you know, uh, that, that did this. Um, it's, it's something that we did to ourselves. Um, and, you know, I mean, we're still, you mentioned Britain, you know, 11% inflation. Britain's got a serious problem and Europe has a serious problem. So we're probably still better off than most of the world. Um, but we're worse off than we should be. Uh, we don't have, we could be a lot better than the rest of the world. And in some sense, um, what's protecting us, and we're seeing this in markets, is even though we're making a lot of policy mistakes, and the, the chaos in other places is in some ways even worse. And so capital uh, is flowing here. Like, for instance, this week, we had a down market, but the global markets were down more. Um, and the same for last week. So uh, that causes some capital. So if you're a, if you're a, an investor anywhere on planet Earth, you know you have to you have to invest someplace, right? I mean, you, you're, you're trying to provide for your future. And even if things don't look great in the United States, you also have to look around and say, but do they look better here than other places? And you look at Europe, which is essentially going to freeze uh, this winter because of an energy crisis that there's almost nothing they can do about, um, and that's. Uh, that's bad energy policy that goes back a long way. That's bad regulatory policy that goes back a long way. And frankly, that's a mishandling of the eastern border to some degree. You know, a combination of provocation towards Russia, but also weakness. I mean, it's kind of the worst combination of scream loudly, but don't carry a big stick. Um, and then China, with their you know top-down control and their lies about COVID, and then COVID spreads, and then they have to shut down entire provinces. So the world is worse than us in general, and so that's propping us up. So my my point is, our markets would be doing even worse if we were just being graded on how well we're doing just in isolation. Markets would be down more, but thankfully, to some degree, investors have to grade on a curve. They have to say, how well are we doing compared to the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is so bad now that actually we've got some capital flowing here. Otherwise, things with our inflation would, would be worse, and our bear market would be worse, and so would our recession. Yeah, it's just an uncomfortable as they say, picture that's been painted here. And of course, sadly, the ones that are suffering the most is the little guy. It's the man or woman who has money in an IRA or a 401k and was looking forward to retiring maybe in the next year or two. That's probably, if not going to be uh, delayed, or if they proceed with it, they might end up retiring from one job and then, you know, getting the, the, the greeter position at Walmart or whatever in order to be able to supplement their income. 
income. And even as Social Security comes out and announces one of the largest cost of living increases in uh, probably our lifetime, you might have to go back to the Carter years, perhaps, uh, to see the last time that they were talking about these numbers. But sadly, even to say, look at that, they're going to get grandma, grandpa's going to get 8% more next year. But when they consider the fact that under the Obama administration, they redefined the way in which Social Security calculates inflation by conveniently leaving out probably two of the most impacted categories by inflation, food and fuel. So if you never eat, never go anywhere, grandma and grandpa are going to be just fine. Aside from that, it's going to be a cold winter. Yeah, it is. It's going to be tough, um, and especially for retirees who don't have much margin. It's always people without margin who are hurt the most. When you have this kind of inflation and this kind of a recession, wealthy people don't change their lifestyle. They don't have to. They don't eat less. You know, they don't. You know, uh, they they you know they just have less you know, numbers on a spreadsheet. But the poor and middle class life actually changes. Um, so this really matters to them, which is why I think we're seeing a revolt at the uh, at the ballot box. Um, and here's the thing. You're talking about the cost of living adjustment for Social Security. Okay, and there should be, right? I mean, we made promises to retirees, and their, their cost of living did go up, and it is a retirement program. It's supposed to compensate them for that, but that has a budgetary impact. So Social Security... You know what? Social. What is Social Security trust fund? What does it own? It owns Treasury bonds. What's happened to Treasury bonds in the past year? Treasury bonds have gotten the living snot beat out of them. It is a very poor performing asset class. So the Social Security Administration has to pay more out because of the cost of living adjustments, but its value has been shrinking because it owns an asset class, treasury bonds, which have performed very poorly because of Fed policy. So if you're someone like me who believes that we have a demographic problem leading to a probable social security crisis, these events are an acceleration towards that crisis. We will hit that wall sooner because of the sell-off in treasury bonds and the cost of living adjustment, which increase is the outflow from the Social Security Trust Fund. Wow. There's a mixed bag here, and it, as I said before, it takes a scorecard to keep track. Uh, one final question before we take a break, and then I want to uh, switch up our subject matter. Uh, your sense in terms of the meeting next week, Thursday and Wednesday, the Federal Open Market Committee will meet. I referenced earlier in my opening remarks the possibility of Potentially as much as 75 basis point increase. Uh, do you think it'll be that at least minimally? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the um, futures market, skin in the game. Um, you know, markets are smarter than pundits, even though I'm a pundit. So I admit that. So I'm looking at the futures markets. I think 75 basis points is really, um, is, is, you know, uh, the minimum. Given what happened with inflation this week, what happened this week is markets said, 75 basis point hike or maybe 100, inflation is still running pretty hot. So it's 75 or 100. If it's 100, that'll that'll hit markets. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. That might be the painful thing we need to do to withdraw from the morphine trip of easy money. Um, But, you know, that's still painful. But I would be very shocked if they did less than 75 percent, 75 basis point hike. 
So that being the case, that means it's going to cost not only a lot more money to buy a car, it's going to cost a lot more money to buy a home. Uh, the refi market, I think, effectively at this juncture, if, if the final nail hasn't been driven in the coffin, the Fed will see to that next week. And then you're going to see, of course, a significant slowing. Now, this may help to decrease um, housing prices, particularly in overheated markets like the San Francisco Bay Area. But then if conversely, so the prices go down, but then the cost of borrowing money goes up, <laughs> you're kind of still in the same place in terms of real estate, aren't you're you? Of, you're, right. you're not ahead of the game because what you pay is a mortgage. Like you don't actually pay the value of your house. You pay you, you pay a number that's a calculation of the principal times the mortgage amount. So if mortgage rates rise and house prices lower to adjust to that, you're not ahead of the game. You're just you're you're just where you were before. You didn't gain anything. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Well, folks, uh, time to hang on to your wallets, to be sure, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. We're talking about all things related to the markets, the world of money. When we come back, I want to switch up the topic and talk a bit about Amazon. They've been in the news lately and not in a good way. What's it all about, Alfie? We'll find out next as our conversation with Jerry Boyer, the publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily, continues here on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You heard me make a couple of references to Amazon and, and perhaps with bated breath wondering exactly what's going on. Well, a couple of things we can touch on. Uh, first, uh, news today that uh, Amazon's in a bit of hot water with the state of California. The state taking legal action against Amazon. A lawsuit filed against the retail giant for blocking price competition, causing increased prices on the platform. Now, apparently, Amazon had been requiring merchants to enter into exclusivity agreements that severely penalized them if their products were offered for a lower price anywhere else. Maybe you call that a modern-day form of old-fashioned price fixing. I don't know. But in addition to that bit of trouble, there's also a story in the news that is not getting as much coverage, but I think is equally Important. A lot of folks are perhaps aware of the fact that when you're an Amazon Prime member at checkout, you have opportunities to support your favorite charity. And I think something like a half percentage uh, of your purchase is then given to or donated to the charity of your choice. And it's a pretty broad list of charities out there that folks can choose from. But suddenly now it seems as if... Amazon Smile program has decided not to smile, but instead frown on an organization that we have been very supportive of. You've heard the folks from Alliance Defending Freedom on this program many, many times. They are a religious freedom advocacy legal firm. They do all their work pro bono, and uh, they're getting a frown from Amazon. Tell us what's going on, Jerry. Well, that's what's going on, um, and they've done it because the SPLPC um, has um, called uh, ADF a hate group. Research Council. Not, neither of those groups are hate groups, not remotely. They're very mainstream conservative Christian organizations. Uh, ADF, in particular, is very close to the judicial mainstream. How do I, how do I know? Because they've won so many Supreme Court cases. Um, even before, you know, some of the Trump appointees, they were winning um, federal cases. Uh, so very mainstream organization. Um, what happened is the Southern Poverty Law Center became a um, scapegoat per, per hire 
um, organization. You could go to them, write a big check if you wanted to get them to label some organization you don't like as a hate group, and that was that's all been exposed. The Atlantic, New York Times have talked about it. Um, so it started out as an organization opposed to the KKK um, and anti-African American groups. But pretty much they got to the point where any group which questioned the LBGTQ agenda could be, uh, could be labeled a hate group. And of course they went after the effective groups. ADF has won a lot. They've been very effective. booted them out of the SMILE program. Um, I like the SMILE program. We participate in it as Amazon customers, uh, but to boot ADF out is a shame. Um, now, ADF is doing something. They're kind of like doing something redemptive with this, which is that they launched, I'm on an advisory board for this, they launched a viewpoint diversity survey where they're going out to 100 companies and then later larger numbers of companies with a survey that says, do you respect viewpoint diversity for your employees, for your uh, for your suppliers, because Amazon's in trouble with its suppliers, uh, and also when it comes to product, if you're a social media company or you're a book sell, seller or whatever, do you censor based on content? Uh, so they're deciding not just to go out and grumble in a corner, or just to like fundraise on victimhood status. They're saying, oh. We understand now. We've been fighting in the courts, and I would say this to we conservative Christians in general. And while that was happening, the left, the ideological extremists, took over the boardroom. We got to go back now and deal with the boardroom. And ADF is doing that, and a lot of other people are doing it as well. Um, and um, I think we can win there. We, we won in the courts, we won a lot with elections, and I think we can do even better. But we can't win if we don't show up and contest that ground. Absolutely. And, you know, Amazon is, the, you know, the 950-pound gorilla in any room. I don't care what the room is called. And, you know, just to look at this on the surface, uh, way back in the day, um, Southern Poverty Law Center did indeed help target organizations that were kind of running down below the radar screen that had ties to the KKK. I mean, really nasty hate groups that I think everybody and his brother, no matter what your political persuasion, could come to the table and say, ah, yep, no, we all agree, that's a hate group. But to to lump an organization like Alliance Defending Freedom into that group, not because they're promoting hate or racist policies, but, but simply having a difference of political opinion or simply being that, well, they happen to be conservative where the board of directors and the leadership of Amazon happens to be liberal. And, and then for the Southern Poverty Law Center to have the audacity to come in and characterize them as a hate group, I mean, that's just a field too far, in my opinion. It is. And let me be blunt about this. ADF, as far as I can tell, is protecting people from hate. Groups. That's right. Um, that, you know, th these these people who go out there and say, bake the cake or lose your business. Right. Or you participate in our gay marriage as a photographer or 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 have your business taken away. That's hate because there are plenty of florists who will. Um, participate in a gay wedding. There are plenty of bakers who will do that. So what's happening is people who hate Christians are going out of their way not to get a cake baked, 
not to get photos taken, not to get a floral arrangement. I mean, for Pete's sake, you can definitely find people who will do floral arrangements for gay weddings. I assure you. But you find someone who is an evangelical Christian and they know they are and they go in and make a non-good faith attempt to buy services and then when that doesn't work then they bring a legal complaint to put someone out of business now who's the hater in that situation yeah exactly Honestly, and, and you know the, 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 the irony the person, is that the, the person who says listen I'll bake a cake but someone else can decorate it I'll bake a cake for you but somebody else has to do the writing oh no that's not good enough do this or, or get you know, get fined a hundred thousand dollars and have your dream killed. I think we know who the hater is. Well, and you know the irony here too is that, you know good old fashioned capitalism uh, used to look at this from the standpoint of if there's a, a firm or an organization out there that you don't want to do business with and you don't appreciate their policies or practices, the easiest way to send a message is to vote with your feet, meaning take your business somewhere else. You don't want to do business with me? Guess what? I don't want to do business with you either. And, you know, I, <laughs> even the average restaurant has a right to maintain no shirt, no shoes, no service policy. So, yeah, it, it's it's really a field too far, and, and it's sad that things have been taken in this direction. And I think you're right that uh, there, there needs to be some changes, not only in terms of the way consumers engage with organizations like this, but also in terms of who gets elected on these boards of directors and the kind of outlandish decisions that they are making. I mean, there was a day and an age when the average American corporation existed to produce a product, to find a need and fill it, and to provide jobs for people in a given community. It wasn't always about making political statements and engaging in degrees of ideology. You're manufacturing widgets. Just make the widget, sell the widget, and leave the politicking to the politicians. But uh, I, I guess that's not not good enough for them anymore. Jerry Bowyer, as we mentioned, is the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily. We invite you to get more information about Jerry's good work as well as this wonderful newsletter by going online to affluentinvestor.com. That's affluentinvestor.com. There's Jerry Boyer. Jerry, we appreciate your time. Coming up on 15 away from the hour, that means it's time for me to step aside for a moment, but don't go away. We've got more coming your way. Lifeline continues right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's true. I'm pregnant. My parents will kill me. My boyfriend said, get rid of it or I'm gone. I don't have health insurance. We used protection. I was told to have an abortion. Every day, many Bay Area women face life-altering decisions. Real Options Clinics help turn the unplanned into a loving plan. Join Real Options for an evening filled with hope and inspiration for their 41st Ignite Life benefit in person or online, Saturday, November 5th, starting at 5.30 p.m. Register at friendsofrealoptions.net. Well, speaking of friends, one joins us now, although uh, the name is kind of... Kind of hard to place. It's familiar somehow. Well, we'll figure out the connection uh, together as our, our conversation unfolds, undoubtedly. Uh, joining me, the Community Outreach and Development Manager on behalf of Real Options, who is indeed a real friend, and uh, pleased to have joined me here on the radio, Sean Beretta. Sean, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're delighted to find out you don't actually have to do the segment by yourself. 
You know, I'm really happy about that. Thank you so much. Well, listen, lots to talk about. And, you know, as the issue of life has been in the news so much, uh, the information suggesting that the high court was going to make a reversal on the 49-year-old Roe v. Wade decision and then to see that reversed. And, you know, there's been so much consternation out there and politicizing over an issue that sadly ought to be you know, on face value, pretty straightforward, pretty clear cut, and that is that each and every one of us are precious, and uh, life begins in the womb, et cetera, et cetera. But as folks are perhaps happy to see the decision made by the Supreme Court, it still lingers that in states like California, it's full court press. We've talked on this program a lot about the governor's position related to the topic of abortion on demand. And I know that one thing for folks um, that are strong supporters of life, they are undoubtedly frustrated by what's going on in our state. But I want people to understand that there are ways, though, in which they can have a positive impact and be an encouragement for families, men and women, who find themselves themselves in unplanned pregnancies with not knowing what to do and trying to sort of figure out not only a lot of the voices that are giving them sometimes good information, but more often than not, really bad information. Toward that end, of course, that's why real options exist. But for folks that look at this and say, you know, I'd really like to make some kind of an an investment, some kind of a way to engage to make a difference right here in California, in spite of the position by our state legislature or the governor. Toward that end, how can folks get engaged on a deeper level with real options? You know, there are so many ways to serve with us. And talking about um, our volunteer opportunities alone could fill the entire hour with you. But we won't do that. Um, you know, we have clinic volunteers, which are the highest commitment level, which include our medical professionals. You know, we've talked about the nurses, um, nurse practitioners and doctors. We also have openings for our non-medical services, and that would include um, a male and female patient services volunteers, the optimal health coaches that Dale talked with you about uh, last week. Right. And then, you know just volunteers to help in the clinics administratively you know what we really need are helping hands a handyman would be awesome (laughs) we have five clinics you know sometimes we have a broken drawer or a broken door so somebody who can come in and help us with that and then we you know we partner with our churches in the area and are always looking for church ambassadors And those are people who would lead and engage their church by working with church leadership members and our team at Real Options to connect our services with those who may be in need of them. And then ultimately, we want our church to find out specific ways that Real Options can serve them. You know, we're here to serve the church. Um, As part of the community outreach group here, we work very closely with volunteers. And um, our church ambassadors are the ones we work with a lot from the community outreach perspective. But we're also looking for people who can work for events, help us with um, the things that are going on so that we can introduce real options to other um, people. You know, and it's a great way for students to get their community service hours in. You know, that helps us advance the culture of life in the Bay Area. So, you know, a one-off, come volunteer with us for an event. 
Yeah, and, and I like the fact that it, you've kind of broadened it because sometimes people think, well, you know, I, I would like to volunteer, but I, I don't really feel comfortable sitting down with the clients, for example. I, I'm not a good talker. But as you point out, there are so many ways in which people can come and volunteer. There are items that get donated to real options that in turn are then provided free of cost to uh, to women who have gone through an unplanned pregnancy, have kept the child, and, and now are raising the baby, and they need clothing, they need a crib, they need, you know, well, if you've been a mother or a father, you know what's involved in, uh, in dealing with a newborn. And so there's opportunities for folks to not only donate from a financial standpoint, but also from a material standpoint, and then from a time standpoint. So even if you're somebody that says, hey, look, I'm a plumber by trade, I can, I can replace light bulbs, I can deal with plumbing problems, I can fix a broken leg on a chair, but that's about all I can do. The good news is, with so many Bay Area centers here in the San Francisco Bay Region associated with Real Options, Sean, there really is an opportunity for just about everybody to get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if you can fix that chair leg, call me. Absolutely. You know, as we talked with Dale last week, they're looking for men that can get involved in providing counseling. It's really a mentorship program in in, in many real uh, definitions of the term. And so here's an opportunity for you to get involved in other ways. Now, you know, certainly financial support is always needed. you got to pay the electric bill. you got to keep the equipment up and running, uh, staff expenses, rent, things of that sort. So, you know, that that's always kind of job number one in any organization. But beyond that, there's so many other ways that you can not only give back to the community, but most importantly, play an important role in supporting life here in the San Francisco Bay Region in partnering with Real Options. Now, Sean, for folks eavesdropping on our conversation today, and they say, you know, that that kind of sounds fascinating. I'd like to find out more and see where maybe my talent or skill set might fit in. How can we get more information? Well, they can send an email to outreach at realoptions.net. And, you know, we have our Ignite Life, which will be held at Calvary Chapel in San Jose on November 5th. And we're planning and preparing an amazing celebration with lots of special highlights this year. You know, Ignite Life will provide a ministry overview as well as a wonderful introduction to people who are new um, to the ministry. You know, it will have an overview of our clinics, our healthy relationship education, pregnancy loss programs, and we believe that those who attend and their guests will be inspired by the patient stories and ministry successes. And you know, we we have an assignment from God to impact generations. We must have the courage to obey God and continue to stand in His image for every person, like you said, including those in the womb. We have an opportunity to impact those people who aren't here yet. You know, they're our future. That's exactly right. And, of course, as Sean Beretta points out, there are so many ways that you can get involved in impacting not only young couples that are going through difficult challenges, um, but also uh, have a real mark, so to speak, 
on impacting the future because this is the next generation. If you want to get more information, again, uh, you can email. Just send a quick note and say, hey, I'd like to volunteer. This is what I do, or I'm not sure what I do, but I'd like to give some time. If it's stuffing envelopes, whatever it might be, send an email to outreach at realoptions.net. That's outreach at realoptions.net. And my friend here, what, what's, what's the name again? I'm going to get my notes out. Her name is... Sean, that's it, Sean Beretta, I know that. Uh, Sean Beretta will be happy to engage with you and uh, help you explore ways in which you or even your entire church or Sunday school class can get involved. Again, uh, send that email, say, hey, like to volunteer, here's what I do, or just figure out how I might fit in. Send that email to outreach at realoptions.net. That's outreach at realoptions.net. Sean, always good to talk with you, even more thrilling to tease you. <laughs> Long time, well, dear friend. I sure appreciate you giving in some time with us today. Oh, thank you so much. All right, you have a great day. Sean Beretta, Community Outreach and Development Manager with Real Options. Information about the organization online, check out friendsofrealoptions.net. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.